today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Anything in your life that called for extreme patience. Now let me change it and and put a little bit different layer on it. Have you ever been in a situation in your Christian life where in your walk in Christ, it called for you to have patient endurance? In other words, there was a push against your Christian faith that maybe in the flesh you wanted to do one thing, but you knew that's not what God called for you to do. And so you had to, in patient endurance, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. I think for every one of us, we could probably multiply that a hundred times. Have you ever been in a situation where you needed to exercise patience? Maybe you were long-suffering through a thorn in your flesh, or you were waiting on a yes or no answer about a prospective spouse. Whatever the case may be, Pastor David wants to encourage us to continue to wait on the Lord. God's timing and will for our lives is better than anything we could want for ourselves. He's the better judge of what we should be doing, so we need to hold on and be still until we're through it. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 1 with today's edition of The Open Word. John's writing to a church that's in tribulation. It was during that time frame that that the people within the Roman Empire, they were ordered by a decree of Rome to offer prayers and sacrifices to the Roman emperors. So if you were living under Roman Rome's control, you were required, whether you were a citizen, whether you were a slave, to offer up prayers and sacrifices to Rome. These emperors themselves, they had declared themselves as gods, and there was this whole Roman cult thing that was going on for them. And the the practice started with Caesar Augustus and went on from there, and it became pretty much a prominent element of all of the Roman Empire, that every one of these Caesars declared themselves as the current god. And on regular occasions, the populace, the citizenry, even the slaves were required to go through and offer an incense to that particular Caesar as God. And when you went through, you'd get this little certificate that says that you obeyed, that you worshipped him. And you would think, well, maybe as, as, a, as a Christian, maybe I could just do that, but I don't really believe it, okay? So I don't have to go through that persecution, No, because again, what does that really say about the truth of your testimony? So Christians would not do it, and therefore they were under great, great 
persecution. Many of them arrested, many of them their homes taken, their businesses taken, many of them thrown literally into the, the Colosseum, all kinds of things that were going on during this time. So the Christians, of course, they refused to worship the emperor, and because of that, they faced great persecution. John says, I'm a brother with you in this tribulation that we're going through. He says, I'm also a brother and I'm a companion with you in the kingdom. And again, for him, that's that's a totally different kind of kingdom than the physical one that Rome had. They, they were, as believers, they were citizens of, a, of another country, a, a heavenly country. And that's, again, where their focus was. And even Peter tells us that they had that feeling that they were strangers and that they were aliens, that they were sojourners, they were pilgrims in a foreign land. And that was the concept that believers were having during that time. John also says, I'm a brother and I'm a companion of the kingdom, but I'm also a brother and a companion in the patience or the patient endurance of Jesus Christ. They knew that whatever persecution they were having at that point in time, that it could get worse. Can you imagine that? I mean, already, you know, your a uh, couple of the members from your local little congregation, your local little Bible study, man, they, they destroyed his store or they took part of his family or he's been arrested or suddenly we don't hear from them again. And yet they knew that it could get worse. And the word of God, the letters to the churches, the, the letters of the apostles, the, the, the teachings that were going to them was to have patient endurance in the midst of these trials. And again, unfortunately, well, how can I say unfortunately we don't know anything about that? That's Fortunately, we don't know anything about that, but also unfortunately we don't. Because I believe, again, as the church today, because we don't have that kind of persecution, by and large, we bec- and, and I'll say by and large, but by and large, we become lazy. We, we've taken our faith for granted and we're not as sharp with our faith. We're not intense with our faith. The word of God is not nearly as precious as it ought to be. The, the availability to be able to come and share together under the teaching of the word of God, by and large for the church today, oh, we'll take it or leave it. Hey, something's happening Sunday, so ain't no big deal. I go do that. Uh, and I make it to church at least once a, a month anyway. That ought to be plenty fine. But yet, the majority of Christians today, they're putting their life at risk to be able to go down alleyways and dark streets and through buildings and up staircases to meet 200 into a, a room half this size just to hear a brother be able to share from a couple of pages from the book that he has from the Bible, from the Word of God. Have you ever been in a situation in your life that's called for extreme patience? Any of you uh, ladies who have been pregnant, you, you ought to raise your hand. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But for all of us, anything in your life that called for extreme patience. Now let me change it and, and put a little bit different layer on it. Have you ever been in a situation in your Christian life where in your walk in Christ, it called for you to have patient endurance? In other words, there was a push against your Christian faith that 
Maybe in the flesh you wanted to do one thing, but you knew that's not what God called for you to do. And so you had to, in patient endurance, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. I think for every one of us, we could probably multiply that a hundred times and think about those that, again, under great persecution, under great trial, waiting and anticipating the deliverance of the Lord in their lives. And yet some of them, the only deliverance they ever saw is when their life ended and they went on to be with glory, in the glory. Let me ask you this. In the midst of your patient endurance in whatever situation you're going through, does Jesus shine through or does your flesh shine through? The the joke for your pastor is, is my middle name is Patience, okay? The problem is my first name is No, okay? And And... and and I, I get impatient. I mean, I get impatient, you know, if there's one car in front of me at the gas station, if there's three people in front of me at the grocery store, if I have to wait for a table at a restaurant, all those important things in life, you know, those, those you know, life and death situations. And it's a battle that I fight with, that my flesh doesn't, you know, rear up, rather than letting, again, the spirit of Jesus shine through. And I know none of you probably have those situations, but this is... True, you know, uh, true, true confessions for me tonight. These were being persecuted for the cause of Christ. And they were called to have patience in the midst of that. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10, verse 36, he says, For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come, and he will not tarry. And yet a little while. And I believe that the longer we live, the closer that is. There is a day, there is a time that's set. We don't know what it is. But every day we live, it's closer. Every day we live, it's closer. John was now on the island that's called Patmos. And he was there for the word of God, he says, and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Because he took a consistent stand for the word of God in his life. He didn't waffle back and forth. Uh, well, depends upon who I'm talking with and where my stand is for Christ. It depends upon where I'm at, whether I, you know, kind of lean toward the, the Roman culture or I lean toward Christianity. I believe in John's life, there was a consistent and a persistent stand in Christ. His testimony continued to ring true. And because of that, he was now imprisoned. Patmos is a little island, we shared this a few weeks ago, a little island just off of the shores of Turkey. It's not a very big island, it's about 13 square miles total is, is the wholeness of the island. About seven and a half miles long and about six miles wide at its widest point. On Patmos, there was uh, quarries that the Romans used during that time to get rocks and stones for all of their building. And if you know anything about Roman history, they, they were great builders and great architects. Well, they had these quarries all over the land. On Patmos was another one. So those that were imprisoned on Patmos, they worked in those quarries. John was about 90-something years old by the time he was there on the Isle of Patmos. I don't believe that he was working on the quarry, but again, he was banished there. Why? Probably because they felt it was better to banish him than to martyr him. 
Because when you martyr someone, suddenly others really rise up. But if you just simply take somebody out of the way, oh, no, he's okay. He's just over here for a while. It's not nearly the kind of impact that if somebody was martyred. He was sent there in Patmos in the year of 95. The Roman Empire was Domitian, well over 90 years old. He was only there for probably a little over a year when another uh, Roman Empire took the place of Domitian. But during that time, God used him. Whatever kind of constraint that he was in, he still had some kind of a relative freedom while he was on Patmos to be able to not only write this letter, but then be able to get the letter out to the churches. He says in verse 10, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. In the Spirit on the Lord's day. Undoubtedly, it was probably a time of a personal devotion, personal worship that he had, a quietness before the Lord. And when he speaks of in the Spirit on the Lord's day, you need to realize that throughout the first century, many of the Jewish converts to Christianity, they recognized both the Sabbath, Saturday worship, as well as Sunday, the Lord's Day, the resurrection of the Lord. Sunday was called the Lord's Day. And as the church grew and there were more Gentiles than there were Jews, by and large, the church was meeting on Sunday. Sunday, the celebration of the resurrection of the Lord. So when he says on the Lord's Day, whatever, uh, again, was going on, whether there was a, a worship meeting or just in his own there, there was a time that he was in worship, he was in time, in meditation before the Lord, and when he says he was in the Spirit. I believe that John had one of those times that is so precious, I think, to any of us that uh, have that opportunity within our lives, within our spiritual lives, to be able to literally be able to shut out everything else and just have that sweetness of communion with the Lord where everything else is gone. I know for myself, when I try to stop and have a quiet time with the Lord, a real quiet devotion, my brain is just firing all kinds of things at me. And you know what I've had to do? I've had to take like a piece of paper. I've tried saying, Lord, just remove that thought. You know, I rebuke that. or what? I've tried stopping it. It doesn't work for me. I have to take a piece of paper and I have to write that thing out. So if it's something, I, I just need to remember that later. And now I'm done with it. And I'm done with it. And I'm done. And then finally... To be quiet before the Lord. But for John, I believe it was much, much more than quiet. I believe that he and the Holy Spirit were in sweet, sweet, sweet communion. I believe that it was a powerful, powerful time. And God was going to speak to him in a powerful way. During that time, the Lord revealed to him the contents of this book. Now, we have absolutely no idea how long this was. I mean, it, it might have just been moments. The Lord just, boom, revealed everything. To, you ever have a dream and it seems like it takes you longer to explain the dream than what the dream was? You know that you were only, you know, like flashed to sleep for a moment, but all these things. Maybe the Lord revealed it to him just very quickly. Or maybe it, it, it might have been literally hours that he was communing with the Lord, and the Lord was just revealing this all to him. But again, when we look at the minute details of everything that we see in the book of Revelation, I believe that it had to be much more than just a moment. Could the Lord give it to him in a moment? Yes, he could. But 
it just seems like it went longer than that. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Verse 11 says, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Now, we spoke extensively last week about this idea of the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. If you missed that last week, let me encourage you. You can get a uh, CD of it from the office. You can go online and get it. It's on our website. So I'm just going to leave that there because, again, who is this Alpha and Omega that's speaking? Is it, again, God? Is it Jesus? Yes, is the answer. And uh, all you have to do is listen to last week's message, and you'll know what I'm talking about. So uh, these cities... These seven cities, we're going to cover the background of them when we get into chapter 2 and as we go through them. But right now, understand and know that these are cities that are located in modern-day Turkey. And it's interesting to note that they're not just listed in a random manner. Ephesus being probably closer to the Isle of Patmos, Ephesus being the home church of John, the first one listed And then from there, you go north from Ephesus to Smyrna, then to uh, Pergamum, and then around from there. And you just make a full circle to cover all seven of these cities. After John heard these initial words of what he's supposed to do, it says that he turned around to see where and from whom this voice was coming. Verse 12 says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of God, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. And we're going to look at this idea of the lampstands in a minute. But this one thing we do know, when John said that he saw someone Like the Son of Man, John was speaking about that he saw Jesus Christ. He saw Jesus Christ, who was known both as the Son of God as well as the Son of Man. John knew who he was looking at. Why? Because John had firsthand experience with Jesus. He was one of the apostles. He walked with him. He ministered with him. For three and a half years he was there. He saw him. He knew him. But I believe also the Spirit just revealed to him who that was. There was no doubt of who John was looking at. And again, that's made a whole lot more clear a little bit later down, down in verse 18, when this very one says, I am he who lives and was dead And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. That can only be the Savior. He's the only one. I lived, I was dead, but now I'm alive forevermore. So the description he gives Jesus, too, it's pretty amazing in in the detail. What does he say there about him as he looks there in verse 13? He says that he's clothed with a garment down to his feet, and he's girded about the chest with a golden band. It's the idea of of both regal, like a king, and and priestly that's both there. This gown that's there, this golden band or this chest plate that's on there, both a king 
and a priest. And who is he? He's our sacrifice, Jesus. King, priest, and sacrifice, all is one. And as we think about that that golden band that, that was girded about his chest, we're drawn into that idea of, of John standing before the very king of kings, Lord of lords, right there. That had to be overwhelming to him. To Again, as a matter of fact, we see a little bit later, he falls down. He falls down and worships him. The overwhelming presence of Christ in his life. He goes on to describe him in verse 14. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. The symbolism of this head and his hair being white like wool, white as snow, again, speaks to us of holiness, speaks to us of the purity of who he is. Just, again, the glory that was there. It's almost a, a, a Hebrewism for, for holiness and purity. Again, the, the whiteness, white as, like wool, white as snow. Listen to, again, the call of the Lord through Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 1. You're probably familiar with the verse, but when the Lord through Isaiah says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be what? White as snow, pure, purified. Though they're red like crimson, they shall be what? As wool, as wool. And again, the idea, the, 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 the concept there is again, the whiteness, the purity, uh, just the cleansing of it all. But Isaiah goes on to say, if you're, or the Lord says through Isaiah, if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. But if you refuse and you rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The opportunity to literally and truly take our sin, take the ugliness of the most inside, the, of the most wretched on the inside that we are, and that the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing us completely from that. Even the description of his feet and even of his voice, it brings us back to the image in the Old Testament of the Ancient of Days. Daniel chapter 7. Uh, you can turn there if you want, but in Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 9, Daniel says, I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. Very similar kind of description of what we see of Jesus here in the book of Revelation. He goes on to say that his throne was a fiery flame, and its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. God was giving Daniel a prequel of what he's now showing John here in the book of Revelation. And if you'll remember, Daniel wasn't allowed to show or to write down everything that he saw. God told Daniel, okay, now seal that up. It'll be revealed later. And I believe 
in the book of Revelation, that revelation is being revealed at that point in time through the book here that we're going through. He goes on still in Daniel. He says, I watched then because the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. The letters to the churches found in Revelation 2 and 3 repeat the phrase, to the one who overcomes, followed with a promise centered in God's goodness to his people. What does overcoming look like for you today? Maybe it's just getting up in the morning, getting dressed, and going out into life. Maybe it's continuing to sing his praises even through a tough circumstance. Maybe overcoming today is holding on to that small hope that tomorrow can be a better day in your marriage. Take some time today to check out those promises, remembering to hold on to Jesus because he is our hope. We're so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. We know that life is tough, but doing life in community can make even the hardest situation more bearable. With that in mind, here's Pastor David with an invitation for you. Hey, if you're in the Casa Grande area and you're looking for a church to attend, I'd love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. At 6.30 p.m., we meet on Wednesday evenings and Saturday evenings. You can find directions and a little more about the church by visiting theopenword.com. Follow the links at the bottom of the page to Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I'm excited to have you be a part of our time of Bible study and fellowship. Our website, one more time, is theopenword.com. Information about the church is at the bottom of that page, the link for Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. Thanks, Pastor David. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Pastor David still has much to share, though, so be sure to tune in again to continue walking verse by verse through Revelation. That's right here on The Open Word. Make a